You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, hey, Gospelite, my name is Jason Williams. I get to be the lead pastor of a church plant called Church in the Wild. Shout out to Church in the Wild. They are handling things right now. Uh, and we, they just text me, hey, we made it through the service. They were fired up. Uh, we had a couple speak. They're newer to church. And uh, we, we have a lot of unchurched people. And so sometimes the things that get said to you after the sermon involve colorful metaphors. Uh, as they attempt to tell you as an unchurched person how great your sermon was, they every now and then add a few words in that are not quite church words in the process. And so we had a married couple speak today and they were like, we apologize in advance. We have been training all week to not say any words that we are not supposed to say. Uh, we love them. Uh, we met them in a CrossFit gym and uh, doing CrossFit with people. And then uh, at the end, we'd be stretching and just say like, how can we pray for you? We began to pray with, with CrossFitters, and as we began to pray, we began to start to do services. And so uh, we baptized a young man. He was our first baptism. He led worship today at our church. And so we baptized him outside of a CrossFit gym in freezing cold weather. He was shaking the whole time. And uh, we brought in a horse trough, and someone was talking, and he literally said, hurry up, man, I'm cold. And they like, <laughs> like dumped him and brought him up. And uh, we're, we're, you know, when, when we say that we're from Church in the Wild, people usually almost automatically say, what in the world is Church in the Wild? And they usually up north associate it with Kanye West. And that's not, that's not the point of our church. Um, in fact, the point of our church is we believe that no one is too far gone. There's no one in the wild that's too far for Jesus to pull them back. That's what we decided. We said, we will be a church that will go anywhere to tell everyone about the love of Christ. We will go into the highways and the hedges and compel people to the Father's house. And so when God told us to plant church in the wild, yes, a few people had a few questions about it for sure. We have, we have uh, t-shirts and sweaters and hats and, and people will see them. And almost always when they see them, they will stop us and say, what is the church in the wild? We, uh, we got to the airport and we were at Enterprise and the very nice lady uh, got my credit card and said, uh, what is church in the wild? And so I started talking to her about church in the wild. And uh, as she, we were talking, she said to me, well, brother, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And my wife said, we are not in Columbus anymore because there's no enterprise employee at Columbus that would ever drop scripture to a pastor. That just doesn't happen. Usually they're like, cool story, bro. You watch the Buckeye game? Like that, that's all that matters. Uh, man, it is Valentine's Day. And, uh, you know, this weekend is Valentine's weekend. Uh, I'm excited to talk at the marriage couples retreat tomorrow. I look forward to that. Those are always really fun. We had our first one ever at our church last weekend. And so I'm very excited to, to be with you guys tomorrow. But I also wanted to talk to you about love today because it is Valentine's Day weekend. And so there's a verse uh, in the Bible, contrary to popular belief, Tim Tebow did not write it, but it is John 3, 16. So if you want to look at John 3, 16 with me, I thought for the longest time, whenever people in Columbus talk about John 3, 16, you say, oh, turn to John 3, 16. And someone will say, that's what Tim Tebow had on his eyeliner. That's their, that's their knowledge of John 3, 16. As you turn there, let's talk about love. Love is seemingly everywhere in our American culture. It's the most Googled word in, our, in America. Love is a big deal here. I mean, think about it. How many songs are written about love? 
We have songs of every genre of music written about love. You could not binge watch all of the movies on Netflix alone about love this Valentine's Day weekend and get through them all before you had to go back to work at some point. There are podcasts about love. There are newspaper articles. There are magazines. There are books about love. We in America seem to be obsessed with love, and yet we don't seem to understand love. Because think about how we say things about love. We say, here in America, we say, I love my wife. And 30 seconds later, we say, I love pizza. I don't love my wife like I love pizza, though. It's different. We say things like this. We say, oh, I love my daughter. And then we say, I love fishing. I do love fishing, but I also love my daughter, and the love for them is different. But here in America, we have, we have talked about love so much and attempted to define love so much that we seem to have made it even more unclear as to what love actually is. I think it's important to recognize that God is love. So God defines love. Love alone does not define God, but God alone does define love. If we're looking to figure out what love is, we need to look to the one who is love and who defines love. And he does it in one of the most popular verses in the Bible that if you grew up in church, you grew up reading, you grew up memorizing. And if you read it like I do often, I will read through it and just skip over stuff and like, oh yeah, John three sixteen, I know that verse. So I'm going to kind of go slow through this verse with you. But let's look at it. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. I love the word so in there. I just think it's so cool that God is like, no, I love you, but I so love you. Like it's so much love for you that it is ridiculous how much I love you. And I love that God throws that word so in there. But then he says something that we skip over all the time. For God so loved the world that he, what's the next word? Gave. He gave. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever is a cool, fancy, old school word. It just means whoever. It means you or me. Like you can change your name. I could change my name. I could say God so loves that, that if Jason believes in him, I shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We could change it. We could say if Scott believes in him, he shall not perish or have everlasting life. And what Scott failed to mention, uh, he said we, we, we played soccer together which is true. We played a form of soccer. Uh, we played indoor soccer together, he and I, on the same team. And it was, uh, if you ever watched the old school movie, Mighty Ducks, and there was the Bash Brothers, we were essentially the Bash Brothers on an indoor soccer league. At times, I'm not even sure if we knew where the ball was, but we were just running into people and having a good time. Like how many red cards can be given out in one soccer game? Let's find out. But we could change it to Scott, or we could change it to you. You could put your name in that verse, and it would say that God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. I think it's, it's that we miss what is so important in that verse, but that God equates love with giving. To God, love is giving. In fact, we could say it like this, the evidence of love is giving. We know this because in the book of John, in John chapter 15, verse 13, it says this, greater love has no man than this, than a man 
lays down his life for his friends. He literally, the, God defines the greatest love as someone who is willing to give his own life for his friends. This is what separates God's love and culture's love. Culture's love is this. It is uh, whatever makes me happy, whatever I can receive, that's what I define as love. So in culture, uh, we say, I love that person because they make me laugh. We say, I love that person because they're beautiful or they're handsome or they're strong. I love that person because they're kind. And what we're saying is we love someone because we are getting something from them. God defines love as are we willing to sacrifice for the person that we love? See, I love fishing and I love my wife, but I will not sacrifice my life for fishing. But I would for my wife. We have a picture on her Instagram of her and I, and she's standing looking very professional and she's looking awesome and she's smiling and she's very happy. I, on the other hand, look terrible and I'm absolutely terrified in the picture. And it is because we put an old school camera on the edge of a cliff and tried to take a picture on the edge of that cliff. So we put it on there and she hit the self timer and then she started running towards me while I stood on the edge like this. When she did, she stepped onto some moss and her feet went flying up from underneath of her and she literally bounced and I caught her as half of her body was off the cliff. And we were a long ways up. She instantly turned, got her, got like this and posed and smiled and took the picture and and like, and in the picture she's smiling and completely fine and I'm like this. (laughs) I love fishing. I'm not falling off a cliff to go fishing. I love my daughter, and I love pizza. I love the Detroit Lions, even though they lose every game. My, our daughter, she had the flu when she turned one, and we spent a couple nights in the hospital. And in those nights in the hospital, we were literally saying to God, we'll take the flu so she doesn't have to suffer. I've never said, I'll take the flu so someone on the Detroit Lions can play. I've never said that. See, how we love like God is we are willing to give like God. So what does God give us? When we understand that God gives, and then we understand the verse, uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what does it say next? And gave himself for it. So if we want to love like God loves, and we want to love our spouse, and we want to love our families like God loves us, how are we then willing to give, and what should we give And I think we can make a list a mile long of things that God gives us. But I think there's a couple things that I want to talk about today. And the first one is that God gave us his time. He gave us his time. See, when I think, um, you think about God and how God wants to show us that he loves us. God could have created a beautiful bouquet of flowers. Imagine the bouquet of flowers that God would have given to us. He creates every flower He hand fashions these flowers, right? And then he gives us this beautiful, it would be the prettiest bouquet we've ever seen. God could have written a great love song and had it sung to us so that we would know that he loved us. He could have had uh, Frank Sinatra sing it. Maybe Steven Tyler. Maybe he could have had the Carpenters if you, if you like the Carpenters. Maybe Justin Bieber if you're into the, new, the newer stuff. God could have picked a singer, written the most elaborate, wonderful love song ever and had it sung to us so that we could understand that he loves us. If he chose to do that, he could have. God could have written the greatest epic movie of all time to tell you and I that he loves us. Imagine how great a movie God could produce. 
But he didn't do that. God could have written a poem. He could have written in the sky, cross equals love, if he wanted to. He could have written a poem for us. He could have written a book. He could have done a lot of different things. But John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When God wanted to show the world that he loved us, what did he do? He came and gave us his physical time here on earth. The one who created time humbled himself and subjected himself to the laws of time and physically gave us 33 years of his valuable time on earth. And this is important to remember because time in our culture seems to be going faster and faster and faster and faster. We seem to be running out of time at a rate that we seem to no longer be able to spend time with those we love. So often we look across the dinner table at someone who we almost recognize as a stranger because our culture is pushing us faster and faster and faster. And often in this speed that our culture is running at, we can give a gift called time to those who we truly love, that is life-changing. You want to know how to love like Christ loved? Spend physical, quality time with those you love. And by quality time, guys, quality time does not mean sitting in the same room as someone while watching a game, listening to or looking at another game on your phone and your wife watches her show. That's not quality time. That's just time. Quality time is time spent together that you both enjoy and you're both intentional and you're both uh, focused on the person you are with. Time is so valuable. Think about how we live here in America. Think about when you're a kid, you can't wait to go to school. Man, I can't wait to go to first grade. You get to first grade and all of a sudden you're like, man, I can't wait for summer. You get to summer, and then you can't wait for middle school. Then you get to middle school, and you're like, why in the world does anybody want to go to middle school? Everyone makes fun of me. Everyone smells. Like, I just, I don't want to be here. I can't wait for high school. You get to high school, and you can't wait for a car. Can't wait to drive. My first car was a 1988 Monte Carlo LS. I could not wait to drive that thing. You start driving your car, and what can't you wait for? You can't wait to graduate. Because you can't wait for that summer, that summer of just freedom. Then you can't wait to go to college. You get to college, you can't wait to graduate. You graduate, you can't wait to meet the one. You meet the one and you can't wait to buy a house. You buy a house, now you can't wait to get the job to pay for the house that you shouldn't have bought in the first place. You get the house, you got the job, you, got, you can't wait to get your vehicle, you get all these things. Then you can't wait to have kids. So you have 10 or 12. Then you can't wait for school to start again. Because you can't wait for the kids to go to school. Then you can't wait till the kids are in high school and you can have fun with them. Then they're in high school and they talk back to you and you can't wait for them to go to college. And then they go to college and they come back and they think they know everything and you can't wait for them to get married and learn some real life lessons. And then they get married and they have kids of your own and you don't get to see them anymore and you start wishing that you could go back to when you were young. And this is what happens. It's the supposed American dream. And we spend all of our life pushing, I can't wait to get here. And when we get here, we're like, I can't wait to get back there. I wish I could go back. 
And we have all that time in the middle that is a beautiful gift from God that we can share with those we love. Think about how we live our days. We live our days, we wake up, perhaps a few of us might eat breakfast together. A few of us. But most of us wake up, we might kiss goodbye at the door. We on the way, we, you know, we on the way to drop the kids off at school, we get a 99 cent heart attack out of a bag. We get that bag, we drop the kids off, we get in line at Starbucks, we sit in line for a good 40 minutes, then we, we get our drink, we show up at work saying, sorry guys, the traffic was bad, and everyone knows that the traffic that was bad was the line at Starbucks. We get to work, we work hard, we're exhausted, we're worn out. The average American spends 12 minutes at the dinner table with their family. That's done, and usually while we're eating that dinner, what are we doing? We got one eye watching TV, we got one eye on our phone answering work emails, Instagram, whatever it is, TikTok, all the stuff. Our kids are on tablets. We might maybe perhaps pray with our kids or give, give a kiss before we go tonight, and then we wake up and we do it again and again and again and again. And our families and those we love are crying out and starving for time from us. The ones you love are desperate for your time. It is a beautiful, valuable gift. So my wife and I have a uh, five-year-old. Her name is Isla. We call her Hurricane Isla. If you meet her, you will know why. She likes to play two games with me. She's really into wrestling right now. I taught her to say, can you smell what the rock is cooking? She loves to say that, and then she tries to pile drive me. We like to wrestle, but one thing we really like to do is we like to do something called the stinky feet game. So the stinky feet game is when I walk by, she sticks her feet up in the air at me and I, I grab them and then smell them and pretend that they're the worst smelling thing I've ever smelled. And then I fall over on the ground and she loves it. Or she will stick her feet up at me and I'll grab them and rub them on my beard. She loves those games. And sometimes we plant church, we own two businesses, we're running around, we're rushing everywhere. And if I'm honest, there are times that I'm like, girl, I'm too tired. I don't want to do the stinky feet game today. But here's the thing about those feet. One day soon, those little feet will walk into first grade. Her life and my life will change. Then someday, not too long after that, those little feet will walk into high school and her life and my life will change. Someday, those little feet will walk down the graduation aisle. One day, hopefully very far from now, those little feet will be sticking out the passenger side of a car while some boy drives her around. They better be listening to Hillsong. They better have their hands at 10 and 2. And they better be going the speed limit and wearing safety belts. But those feet will be sticking out the window. They'll be listening to some song, driving somewhere. Someday those feet will stand as some boy kneels down and proposes to her. Someday, her and I will walk down the back of an aisle and those little feet will walk beside me. I will put her hand in the hand of the man who's going to marry her. I will hug him and smile and then whisper under my breath that he's such a jerk and I can't stand him. One day, those little feet will have children and she will chase after little feet of her own. And one day, those little feet will stand at my casket. They'll shut it. And she'll turn around and those little feet will walk away from me. 
And what matters in that moment is not how impressive my resume is. Doesn't matter how nice of a house I built her. Doesn't matter if my truck is nice or if I have a Jeep or a Bronco. Doesn't matter if, I, if I'm impressive. None of these things matter. Besides the fact that when those little feet turn and walk away, that she knew that I loved her with all of my heart. Because those little feet will never get to walk beside me again at that point. And the best way that I can show her how much I love her is never being too, too tired, too sick, too whatever, too, too important to play stinky feet with those little feet while I have the chance. Time is so valuable. God showed us how important it was by giving us 33 years of his time. And if we want to love like Christ loved us, we need to give time to each other. Second thing that he gave us, uh, we find in, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. When God had to give us a valuable gift to show us how much he loved us. He gave us his word. Now, you and I might not have a physical Bible to hand to someone. We may. But what we do have is our ability to use our words as gifts to those that we love. Do you think about this? Words have so much power. The Bible says, out of the words of our mouth comes death or life. Your words can literally bring death to relationships around you or they can bring life. Your words have so much power that when you give a compliment, it is like edifying and building up and giving life to someone that you love. Your words also have enough power that when you tear down and cut down and shred and attack people that you love, it is like bringing death into that relationship. Your words have power. And here's the thing about our words. In our culture, Satan constantly attacks you and your spouse and your children by telling them they're not good enough. Think about what he says to your kids. Your kids go to school and they get made fun of because of their hair, they get made fun of their clothes. They, I, used to, I used to get made fun of because I had to wear pony cleats in middle school. And so I bought a pair of pony cleats and I took a black Sharpie and I sharpened and I, I, I took the Sharpie and made a Nike swoosh out of the pony because I was so tired of getting made fun of because of the shoes I wore in middle school. And all day, your family goes to school, they go to work, they go to their job, and Satan tells them they're not good enough, their bosses tell them they're not good enough, their friends tell them they're not this enough, their school tells them that they're not this enough, and then they get home and they get to your house, and you are given the opportunity to give them a beautiful gift by giving them words that build them up. So... We cannot then overcompliment our spouse. See, sometimes we say things. We say things like this. We say, well, I'm just trying to make sure my, I put my spouse in their place. But what if instead our words were used to elevate our spouse to the place that God has for them? 
What if instead of the being the one who thinks we need to humble our spouse, we became the one who began to lift up our spouse and encourage our spouse and love our spouse so much so that they began to live boldly and freely and confidently and they began to be the person that they could be all along because we gave them kind words? What if your child is waiting on a few life-giving words from you to become all that God wants them to be. We don't want to be people who tear down. We want to be people who build up. The Bible says it like this, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for building up. Now, when I was growing up, I always thought that that, those words, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, I thought that it meant we shouldn't say a couple four-letter words that began with a few letters, and that's what that meant, and we should never say those words. And we shouldn't say those words, and it does mean that. But it also means... The idea of the word corrupt is something that tears apart and breaks down. So what the Bible is saying here is let no words that tear apart or break down proceed out of your mouth. It's saying never allow words that are going to cut and shred and tear down and break down those you love. Never let those words leave your mouth. But words that are good for the use of building And we'll say this, as as Americans, we say, well, they know that I love them. I don't need to say it. They know. I mean, I bought them something for Christmas, they know. But that's not true either, because the Bible says that only God knows the heart. Your spouse cannot know your heart. So you saying, well, they should know that I love them is not enough. We actually have to physically tell them we love them in order for them to properly understand that we love them. So your kids do not just know that you love them. Your parents do not just know that you love them. They have to hear from you because they are entirely dependent upon the words that you say. So a pastor said it like this. He said, if it is good and you think it, say it. If it's good and you think it, say it. Don't allow our insecurity and your fear to say, well, I don't want to compliment them too. I don't want to say that. You might be the only one who tells them good news all day. So if it's good and you think it, say it. And what's cool is in our culture, we don't even have to wait till they get home. We can text our kids, hey, I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. We can send that message. Hey, honey, I think how you handled that thing at work was incredible. And I know your boss is upset, but man, I'm so proud of you. Keep fighting. I love you. You're doing great. And our words can become beautiful, powerful gifts. You and I have the opportunity each and every day to build life into our relationships. And then thirdly, the gift that God gave us was forgiveness. He gave us forgiveness. Think about... We, we sang those, those songs earlier. I loved them. They were awesome. They were so good. I was at a conference a while ago, and there was a, there was a bunch of pastors, and we were all standing in a row. And uh, a few of them were, were decidedly probably more conservative in their approach to worship than I was. And so they were standing like this, you know, the whole time. And I finally leaned over to one of them and said, look, man, I'm sorry. I'm a dancer. You might want to watch out. And he was like, oh, they <laughs> moved way out of the way. Those worship songs that we sang were so powerful. And what were they about? Forgiveness of God. God has forgiven you and I of so much. Think about it. The Bible says that you and I were enemies with him. 
We were enemies with him, and he forgave us. It's not that he didn't, you know, he had to forgive us just for something, and we were already all friends and buddies, and we liked each other. The Bible says we were enemies with God, and he chose to forgive us. When I properly view and understand how much God has forgiven me for, it's a lot easier to forgive my spouse for saying something about her, my wardrobe choice that week. When I understand how great the forgiveness of Jesus Christ is, it is so much easier to begin to forgive my wife for these small few things that she's maybe said or done. When I understand how God, the creator of the universe, gave me his time, he gave me his words, and he forgave me for my sins against him, it's a lot easier to forgive my daughter when she mouths off to me or tells me I'm getting old or whatever it is she says. When we understand forgiveness, it's so much easier to forgive. See, in life, offense is going to happen. We're going to say things. We're going to do things. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to have uh, problems arise between us. I am a man. I say things that I should never say. I do things sometimes that I'm like, I don't even know why I just did that. Because it's just part of who I am. Offense happens. But offended is a choice. See, just because there's offense doesn't mean you have to get offended. You can choose to forgive. You can choose to say, you know what, I I think that you said this, but here's what I'm going to forgive, and I'm going to believe this, and we're going to move forward, and we're going to work in our relationship, and you can forgive. Here's what happens in our life. We do something silly. We show up we show up late to a meeting with, with our spouse. We're supposed to go on a date and we show up late. We're distracted. And, and, and the enemy tries to put a little barrier in between us because of that. So I say something silly and the enemy puts a little barrier in between my wife and I because of that. Or I talk about something from the past and, and the enemy puts a barrier in between us. And he attempts to place barriers in between us by using offense. So I say something I shouldn't say and there's a little barrier. I do something I shouldn't do, and there's a little barrier. I show up when I shouldn't show up, and there's a little barrier. I don't help her like I should help her, and there's a little barrier. I don't do something I should do, and there's a little barrier. She says something to me, and there's a little barrier. And before I know it, there is an entire fence called offense in between her and I. And it started with one thing said. Yeah, I didn't really like meatloaf. And now there's a fence between us, and that fence is called offense. But here's what happens. Pretty soon, all you and I can see is the fence. Because there's so many things that we have not chosen to forgive that now we are separated by this fence called a fence that is in between the two of us. And now all I can see about her, oh, she's never on time. She doesn't value my time. She's always on her phone. And now all I see, therefore all I say are bad things. The problem with holding on to a fence is eventually all you see is the fence. And you can no longer see who you fell in love with in the first place. This is why person after person after person that I talk to in their marriage and their marriage is struggling, they always end up saying, I don't even know why I loved her in the first place. Because there's a fence between them. 
But we go back to that song, how great the chasm that laid between us. What did Jesus Christ do to that fence that was in between us and him? There was a fence called sin between you and I and Jesus. So what did he do? He spanned the fence with the cross. He stepped down from eternity. Think about what God did. The Bible says that in heaven, he is surrounded by angels. He's surrounded by these beings. The Bible calls them being full of eyes without and within. And they all throughout all eternity say about him that he is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. In heaven, he is seated and surrounded by beings full of eyes. You ever wonder why those eyes are there? Think about this. They can see everything that God does. And for eternity, they have never seen anything he's done that was not holy. It also says they have the eyes within so they can continually investigate themselves as to whether or not what they are saying about God is true. And there has never been a second that God was not holy. But this holy divine being who created all things had a fence between us and him called sin. You and I are sinners. We don't like to admit it, but we are. At the end of the day, I think we all know that there's things we do that we should not do. And so this sin lies between us and it creates a fence. But God, who created time, who created the clay that he allowed himself to be subject to, God who created trees and forests, and mountains. God who created us humbled himself, took upon the form of man, and shattered the fence of a fence that was between him and us. And forgave us so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And when I think of it being my sins that put God on that cross, It's a lot easier to forgive my wife, even though she might be, her idea of time is if you're 15 minutes late, you're on time. My idea of time is if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. It's a lot easier to forgive her when I remember it was my sins that nailed him to the cross. And yet God looked down and said, I love you so much. I will give you my time. I will give you my words, I'll give you my spirit, and I will forgive you if you ask for forgiveness. So often we think that holding on to bitterness is is punishing those who we are angry at. And so they didn't show up for Thanksgiving dinner when we invited, and so we're going to punish them by not speaking to them. And we're going to show them. But forgiveness is actually setting a prisoner free and realizing that the entire time the prisoner was me. See, the more I allow offense to come in between me and my spouse, eventually I become a prisoner to my own offense. And Jesus said, I'm going to shatter all the offense that lies in between you and I. And I'm going to forgive you. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and someone wrongly told you that you have to be good enough to earn his salvation, what 
good can you and I do as broken, sinful being that's ever good enough to earn the forgiveness of the one who created us in the first place? Someone told you you have to give money to church. You got to go to church in order to be saved and forgiven. What could we give to the one who created all things? And all, but all that we have to do to have the offense broken between us and all that we have to do to receive the forgiveness of God is receive the one in John chapter 3, verse 16, who loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that you and I who believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You can come to Jesus today simply by accepting him as your Lord and Savior, simply by recognizing that there are offenses in between you and him and being willing to accept the forgiveness that he offers you through the form of Jesus Christ. You can do that today. For those of us who are Christians, we claim we are, we are followers of Christ. We have accepted the gift of salvation. Isn't it about time that we start to love our families like God loves us? Isn't it time that we start looking at as time is not something we have to spend with them? Well, it's Saturday, I got to spend time with the family, but as an opportunity to show them how much we love them and an opportunity to invest into them. Isn't it time that we start to give our words that build life into those that we love? And isn't it time to let go of that bitterness that we've been holding on because of the offense that's between us that has created this fence that now holds us captive? When I think about communion, which we'll take today, I can't think of a better way of showing that God loves us and a better way of talking about Valentine's Day weekend than to, for a moment, remember Jesus loved me so much that he gave his physical body to be shattered and broken for me. And he shed his blood so that I could find life. That's what communion is. It's just a moment of recognizing I have sinned against him, but he forgave me. So I'm gonna pray. We're gonna take communion today. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would love to have that today be the day that you get to know him. If you have not developed a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, where you have said, hey, I accept the forgiveness that is found in Jesus. I'm tired of trying to prove to everyone that I'm worthy. Instead, I'm just going to allow Jesus Christ's love and forgiveness to save me and that allow him to make me worthy. Today's that day. And for the rest of us, let's love like Christ loved. Let's give like Christ gave our time our words, our forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are gracious, kind, loving, just, holy, and righteous. You are so good, and you so loved us that you gave yourself in the form of Jesus Christ to us. Help us, Lord, to be people who love like you love. Help us to say words that build up, not tear down. Help us to remember the gift of time and Lord, help us to be people who forgive. Help there to be no offenses that create offense between us. Lord, I pray that we would, in this moment today, as we take communion, we would focus and reflect on how much you have forgiven us and how much you had to give in order to accomplish this. In Jesus' name, amen.